Welcome to Orchestrated Relationships, a podcast studying relational value. I'm David Homan, your host. Years ago, I formed a community of people called connectors, people who have an innate ability to build and maintain authentic relationships across their personal and professional lives and who thrive on making connections. The community was formed out of a need to develop a system and a methodology to help relational value be valued. And the most effective way I've found so far is to champion someone else, which is why I have in front of me the incredible Bahia Robinson. Welcome. Thank you, David. So excited to be here with you. I'm really glad and honored to have you here across both coasts during COVID. So thanks for joining for the Zoom Corona edition of this. Pleasure, pleasure. Anything for you. So you're the CEO and founder of VC Include, a platform designed to build and support diverse institutional-grade emerging managers and venture capital, private equity, and impact investment. Your mission is to increase the number of diverse asset managers that manage just 1% of the $70 trillion of assets under management in the U.S. Since 2018, VC Include has built and convened a growing ecosystem of diverse fund managers, LPs, and partners, and you've led in your past life as well, multiple technology, investment, and social impact initiatives, and public-private partnerships in the U.S., Brazil, and across Sub-Saharan Africa since 2001. So that is an incredibly impressive resume, much more than mine, uh, where I moved to New York and I was able to survive there, and you were from there. So um, (laughs) tell us a little bit about the impact of a project you're working on and how we can help. Sure. I mean, so BC Include is my my baby. I feel like I, I birthed it um, out of the desire to increase investment into founders, so diverse and female founders, because after working for 10 years on different types of initiatives that you know, supported uh, ecosystems of diverse founders. When I say diverse, I really mean, you know, Pan-African, Black, Latinx, and women-led startups. I didn't see that same ecosystem approach really being um, uh, embraced on the asset manager level. And all of these words are so, you know, so like, you know, frou-frou and, you know, kind of dogmatic, but it's really about, for us, it's about um, the supply of capital being smooth so that, um, you know, managers or excuse me, founders can access capital, right? Particularly underrepresented and, and some people say underestimated, others say undervalued um, founders can have access to capital. And so I just reverse engineered a uh, opportunity to, 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 to open up the market. So I'm going to put you to test then. So if you were to explain this to my six-year-old Eva, yeah. what would you say the impact and the purpose is that would help with a quality and effectiveness, but in a way that doesn't use those frou-frou words, but really would yeah. make anyone understand why this is so crucial? I'd say, hi, Eva. I have a business that helps investment for women and people that have not had Okay, let me start again. That's actually a good, such a good question. I, hi, Ava. I have a business that invests in women and um, pe- people of color. And if she needs to ask what that is, I'll explain it to her. She is well indoctrinated in our family and to the point where she's done an entire puppet show as part of camp. 
Okay. Um, so it's uh, it, it's a it's a staple in our family because uh, we Absolutely. are aware of the privilege that we have. But you're doing good so far. She might want to digress for you to look at her coloring book for a second. But let's yeah. pretend you've done so, and now we're back. Right. Um, why this focus on investment? Because women need access, and then this is still talking to Ava. Women and people of color need access to capital to start their businesses, just like anybody else needs needs that same type of investment. And I would just keep it, you know, keep it simple. It's really, it is really that simple. Everyone should have equal access to capital to build and grow their businesses, whether they're startups, tech. I mean, we're all moving into, you know, tech is, is now. So um, increasingly all businesses will become technologically enabled, but um, really it's just about access to capital for business growth and economic justice and empowerment. Just that. So Eva would say thank you and then ask if you want to get her an ice cream cone. So um, I appreciate you going into detail. So when we think about what happens when you've achieved this, what happens to those voices, the people of color, women, all of this, when they're amplified? Like, what, what do you see as a different world when the capital and innovation finally come together? I see a lot of things. I see more uh, equality and pay for women, um, all the way up, again, the value chain, all the way, uh, you know, from you know, workers to managers to CEOs, because that's another thing that is um, a challenge. And it's a challenge, again, because the people that are the CEOs of most Fortune 500 and really all companies are, are typically are men. Um, I see, so, so, so access to jobs increases for women and particularly, you know, managerial and C-suite, you know, jobs. Um, the pay for those jobs will be equal. Um, to men, um, same same labor, same effort, same pay. Um, and in terms of the innovation side, the, the social impact, the kind of you know types of businesses that um, might not be specific, like you know shareholder or stakeholder prof- profiteering, you know, while you ruin the environment or you ruin. Um, you know, different communities, like that community engagement will allow for um, more equitable outcomes on the ground. So when you talk about communities of color and how even with COVID, you know, they're decimated, um, about 50% of uh, Black and Latinx businesses um, are, are de- basically, they're, they're shut down. Um, so having more access to capital to do things like weather these storms and to build more resilient businesses uh, will allow for them to, um, to, to grow despite, you know, whatever the social or economic um, environment is. So the one thing I'd add to that, because in my world of connectivity with orchestrated connecting, I always want to make sure that the real passion would be seen, which yeah. is what I'd say in reference again to my aforementioned daughter is when there's more women like you and people of color in these situations, everyone can see themselves in those shoes. And right now that barrier of access is humbling or humiliating for the few that have made it to be quote unquote tokens or to be in a situation where they're the only one from their community as opposed to the success of certain private schools of launching, you know, what, six or eight presidents each. And so there's, yeah. there's a lot that I think comes from 
that equity that gives people a better sense of a dream being a reality. So thank you for your work in, in making that possible. Yeah, I mean, it's my, it's my passion and my purpose. So I don't feel like there's nothing else I can do but this. You're much more multifaceted than that, but we won't get into your other skills because we're focused here on what you're doing in relational value. But tell us a little bit about the type of connections, the, the type of passions and alignment people would have to help support all the different pillars of VC, including the work of your partners. Yeah, I mean, I think for from a relational perspective, you know, there are there's so many nodes that lead back to, you know, the investment community um, at large. And so whether you're a wealth manager, or you're, a, you know, asset manager in terms of, you know, deploying capital, whether you're a asset allocator in terms of being in a you know family office or some other type of um you're an asset allocator on, you know, in, in terms of different asset classes. Um, those are always helpful relationships to build over time because whether your, you know, your, your mandate or your, you know, bosses or your peers see the value of investing in women or investing in people in color, of color, black or Latinx fund managers, at some point it'll click. And so, you know, we like to build the type of relationships that are not, you know, transactional and just like this turnkey. We want to be able to build an ecosystem and community of like-minded, values-aligned, mission-aligned folks that even if they're not, you know, in a position of power to maybe write a check today, that we're, you know, you know, providing, you know, socialization and education and kind of involvement over time that leads to that, those types of investments. I mean. Fortunately and unfortunately, this is a generational change. And yeah. we, we live in a world where the, the older generation's changing is fortunately exponential on average in terms of being okay with change happening within a lifetime. But where wealth and power, where these institutions are, I think it's important just to note that those voices have to happen both externally and internally. Absolutely. And that you need people who have now maybe for the first time, realize that this issue isn't an issue. It's a reality that needs to be addressed and is a reality that can be both immensely impactful and immensely profitable and that they're not mutually exclusive, I think is really important uh, as this work has moved forward. So um, we're going to move to a personal share from me, which is, you know, I grew up in, in the South. Now I grew up in Florida but I grew up in northern Florida, which is much more like southern Georgia than it is the Miami people or Palm Beach people know. And um, I had a father who, among other things, swayed so far left, he actually had to have two different monitors in his classes. One was a Republican monitor, where if he made too many outlandish issues related to Shakespeare, keep in mind, um, about the right that what some of the more conservative kids would be able to say, Sid, that's enough. But he also had um, somebody else who would also help him sway from being so far into decency, he lost the point of what he man- managed to say. <laughs> and um, in into my world of growing up with theater with him, he did a play that we called Black Voices. And we took op-eds and articles from over a century to our local paper 
opinion pieces by communities of color. And he created an entire play of those voices to show a different history of the town we grew up in than we even knew. And there was such a shock in the audiences who came, of color or not, because the voices were there. They were printed, but they weren't heard. Yeah. And I, I think so much about how much I, growing up, didn't understand how much wasn't heard until I left and I lived in the Northeast, in a much different environment than where I grew up. But also that in that small town, there was a lot of unity that came from this that I think is just um, something to really keep in mind. So, you know, I didn't face the type of adversity that people of color continue to face. But it was just interesting to me that the voices were all there, but they weren't recognized. And maybe we're at a point where maybe those voices um, can finally do so in a way that's also important for society and the bottom line of this country. Yeah, I think they're starting to, I mean, this, this issue, I mean, the fact that, you know, a hundred years ago and now we're still, you know, talking about this exact same thing kind of speaks to, to your point, the reality that needs to change. Right. Um, I think that there's a, you know, there's an optimistic, um, at least I'm optimistic about, for me, it's about consistency and continuation. And so that we are not having a moment in time that raises a few voices and then we shut the lid again and say, okay, that's enough. <laughs> you know, now let's go back to, you know, quote unquote, mainstream, you know, voices. Um, there's some statement and I keep adding other M's to it. It's like mo- moment to movement to mainstream. And then... <laughs> In my own, like, I laugh at myself. It's like, and I added to just to be clever to mandate, you know, like the the next M. So like, that's the thing I own. Because um, my uh, one of our managers was like, "Well, I own to Main Street." I'm like, "Okay, well, I own to mandate." So, um, and 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 you know what that really means again, kind of fancy words, but the mandate piece is just that we know that this should be the norm, right? Like this is the voices need to continue to grow and represent themselves because when those voices are not represented by the people that are, you know, that have the voice, then that's not representation. Right. So, yeah. When you think about building relationships in this context, Mm -hmm. being somebody who is a person of color, being somebody who's a woman, being somebody who is literally, this is a moment and you want to get, to it being a mandate. Um, right. How do you think about building relationships with people of your community and without so that you can create a value system that brings in action as opposed to just making it momentary? Yeah, no, I mean, you hit the head, the head of the nail or the nail on the head in terms of, of the word because I, I was going to use it, which is values, right? So I think, you know, a lot of this is about, you know, clearly clarity around what the, your values are. And then the next piece is aligning to those values. So even if you don't understand the community, you share similar values. And so that it kind of makes sense because you're able to have a certain, you, you share a certain value system. And so that is an equalizer in some ways, right? And there might be other challenges or things that you can work on together, but at least you, you know, like 
you know, equity or equality, if that's something that's a, that's, you know, part of your family, kind of, you know, part of your familial dynamics, then, you know, maybe we can work towards, you know, understanding how that should play out in, you know, the markets or in, uh, in your community or in your neighborhood. Um, you know, whether it's gentrification or whether it's, you know, investing as a stakeholder into women, or, I mean, it can look like a lot of different things. And I think, you know, the other piece on, um, the other word that, that has started to get a reused a little bit, you know, used a lot, but it is a good word, which is just the, you know, the commonality of different pieces. Like I'm a black woman, right? I'm a woman, I'm a woman of color, but I'm also black. And so like, those are all layers. Those are like different communities, different lenses. Um, and I'm also human, right? So then there's like that lens too. And we all are. So, so being able to articulate or at least share our value system, um, that's how I build community. I start with values. I start with you know, what do you care about? What do I care about? Is, you know, is the relationship even worth going, moving forward from there? And, and if we have commonalities of values and, and things we care about, then we're able to build a relationship around those things. And those things, hopefully at some point will include the way that we spend our money, right? Like the, the types of things we buy, the types of stocks we buy, the top types of, you know, I mean, just, you know, who we support with our dollars, with our capital. Um, and how we build our businesses and how we're kind to one another, things like that. So, you know, that's how I look at, um, you know, authenticity. I, I told someone, you know, that, that needed to hear it. I was like, I don't, we don't have, we have a policy. We don't work with assholes. I mean, we just, I'm not, I have like zero patience, you know, for unkind, you know, aggressive, argumentative you know, angry people. I don't care if you're an LP, you know, it doesn't matter what, what you are, how much you have. I'm just not interested in that. And so that's just a hard stop for me. Totally agree. The world would be much better for those that believe that they are superior from others to realize they are just like others, except for maybe not liked. Um, So this is going to bring me to one of my, my favorite quotes. And I, I specifically wanted to pick, um, a female poet for a quote that I like to live by. And it's from Emily Dickinson, who, if you look at the demographics of the era she grew up in, look how powerful women were not. Um, and it's a known one, which is success is counted sweetest by those who ne'er succeed. Um, and I think about that uh, in the context of this idea that where all innovation has come from was a desire of what people did not have. And that led to a much greater success than those who had something and decided to um, modify it slightly to make things better. You know, so like, do we need an Uber for dog walking or an Uber for cat sitting as much as we need other types of innovation? Like when things come from a pain point, when they come from a point of passion to change, that can, I, I believe, with the right mix of people around each entrepreneur and each, each founder, lead to so much greater because the problem is larger than them. Yes. And those that have success often can't see past their worldview. Absolutely. And that's why you need people. I mean, that's why community, you know, matters so much because no one can do it alone. I don't, you know, no one can. It's impossible, especially big, you know, big lifts. Exactly. Um, Do you have any 
quotes or a quote that you live by? I do. Yeah. And actually, I mean, I have a few, but I will follow your lead with a woman. There's, you know, when you, by the way, just very quick side note, when you like Google, you know, famous quotes by women, they're like none. Like there's very few. I actually tried to do this for a panel I was facilitating because I wanted to find a woman. I was like, this is not that many. Um, but the one that I, um, that I love that I actually live by is from Maya Angelou, Dr. Maya Angelou, uh, which, and she says, when people tell you who they are, believe them. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's interesting because it's like, it also, because of course, you know, some people don't always tell the truth either because they don't know what it is or because they're just being, you know, um, uh, deceptive. But I think if you listen and also if you use your intuition to kind of hear what people say, you know, kind of, it's also about reading between the lines sometimes where some person might say something, but they kind of contradict themselves, that kind of thing. Uh, I think that, you know, it's been a, a great compass for me to, you know, choose the people that I want in my, in my, you know, in my life. I'm just curious, what if somebody goes and says, I want to help you, but I'm a selfish a-hole. Do you believe them? People have said that to me before, uh, but you know, I do believe them. I believe both of the things. They want to help me and they're selfish a-hole, but it's up to me to decide, well, if you're a selfish a-hole, I don't need, I don't want your help. Right. No, totally understand. I mean, you know, when I look at relationship building, because we're just at the close of this podcast for today, um, I think it's also really clear when somebody's going to say who they are, it's even harder for them to know they're lying to themselves. Yes. And I think that um, we have a human, we as a human race have been lying to ourselves that our situation is something we deserve when others don't have as much. And not that mm-hmm. we can give away everything to people, but it is, it will be a much beautiful, brighter world when we depend on people because of their innovation and their brilliance and not what we thought that came from, pres- from prescribed notions of height and gender and skin color. Yeah. And at a world where people invest in this because they see the profit and the purpose and that aligns with their values is something I hope we get to totally. in our lives and something sooner than later. Agreed. I share that. That's why we're friends. Absolutely. Well, it was such a pleasure to have you on this. Thank you for joining me during Corona to have a, extremely socially distanced across New York and California uh, Zoom chat about this. Um, I look forward to supporting your work and for everyone listening uh, to support it as well. Thank you so much for joining today. Thank you so much, David. And thank you to everyone that's listening. I appreciate it. On the next podcast of Orchestrated Relationships, stay tuned for Ramphus Castro, who discusses how expanding opportunities is not just just but an economically powerful way to build relationships. We'll close with an excerpt from the ballet, The Book of Esther, a work called Stepping from Her Shadow for clarinet, violin, guitar, cello, and piano.